0: Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice, in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Hi Bill, welcome back.
1: We're here for another week of conversation and still with COVID, we're still working our way through this latest surge.
0: Yeah, and you know, here we are in uh, the first month of 2022, I thought this would be a good time to reflect on the state of COVID in the world today. We talk a lot about what's happening locally in the United States, because of course, that's where you and I are based, but we do have listeners from around the world, and COVID and how it's impacted people living in different parts of the world is very different than how it's impacted people living in the United States. And I know you attended a global summit that I think would be very interesting to talk about.
1: Certainly, as we look into the year, it's gotten up to the start we wanted to in this country with Omicron, but how do we start to look beyond our borders and thinking about how is it playing out right now and what is it going to mean for all of us here in 2022? As you mentioned, there was the global summit, which is actually you know, mid-September now. So it's already about, gosh, four months or so in the the rear view. But there was a lot of discussion at that time that was organized by the Biden administration to be coincident with the UN Global Summit. Part of that was because that's when there was a push for boosting in, in the United States and getting booster vaccines available. Of course, there's been more of an impetus on that, as we've seen recently, just because of the potential for booster to, to help protect against omicron right and the omicron surge but at the same time at that global summit there was a lot of concern expressed by other countries across the globe where the vaccination rate was much lower where the access even to oxygen and some of the basic treatments was much more difficult and then of course last week i think it was we saw from the who a position of really suggesting not to boost adolescents and children that they didn't see benefit. And I think again, caused some confusion, but it really is people thinking about how do we distribute all these tools globally versus how we distribute them locally, just because different parts of the world, as you said, are experiencing different things.
0: Yeah, you know, this has been a big topic amongst the global health community, which I am a part of because of my work in tropical medicine, global health and parasites, parasitology. And there's been a lot of discussion about these inequities and how we could actually distribute vaccines in an equitable fashion with what we have today across the world by targeting people that are really at need, elderly people with disabilities, immunocompromising conditions and healthcare workers. But it would mean that then perhaps we wouldn't be boosting some of the younger people where uh, maybe they have a higher immunity or don't necessarily need that additional dose. Of course, we have to go with the science and the science in our country tells us that the boosters are highly beneficial. So it's really two different ways of looking at the problem of vaccination. If you're a resource-rich country and you can follow the science, you wanna boost your entire population. How do you expand that to the whole world?
1: Like a lot of things uh, in healthcare, the pandemic has really bought to public awareness or a broader awareness, a lot of the issues that we existed prior to the pandemic. And certainly just around global health and how we distribute the tools to keep people hopefully safe from illness or or treat them for illness in a more seamless and equitable way, is to your point. And I think that these are things that we're just going to have to figure out. There's two things I would say. Number one is data. There's just Parts of the world we don't have as good of data, so we don't know where those tools are most needed. To your point, even how do we identify people at risk in different countries, where the healthcare, just the data around people's health is not as rich as it might be in some other countries. And then what is the whole infrastructure? I mean, that's we keep hearing about supply chain. Anyone's hearing about supply chain now? P- people probably talk more about supply chain than they ever have in their whole lives. It's just about everything, right? Yeah. This whole thought of supply chain around health globally is a real issue because you have different levels of delivery systems. So, if you put the tools in place, how effective can they be delivered? And then, what are some of the rules just around manufacturing, around raw materials being going across borders? Just some very things we would never think about in healthcare, but that really are driving a lot of our ability to respond to a challenge like this on, the, on a global scale. It's gonna really, I think, spur a lot of thought and debate coming out of this when we eventually do. But the reality is there's still a real problem and a need for it right now.
0: Yeah, hopefully we'll be at a better place because of the work everyone's doing now. And on a positive note, there has been the creation of this organization called COVAX. It's an international partnership with the World Health Organization. And this uh, organization has basically licensed vaccines for emergency use authorization around the world. And they put a lot of thought into all those things you just talked about, Bill, like supply chain. How do we get vaccines to people in really remote populations where there's not a road half of the year because it's washed out in the rainy season? So there are now nine COVID vaccines listed under emergency use authorization by the World Health Organization. Despite the challenges of still getting them to people, the nine vaccines are very helpful because they're produced across many parts of the world. Some are produced in India, some are produced in China and Russia. And some of them don't have those really strict storage conditions that some of the vaccines we're using in the United States do with the requirement for a cold chain. So that's a step in the right direction.
1: So the way all this works, as I have had the opportunity to participate in Accelerator for COVID tools, work, which was divided into three work streams. It was organized by the WHO and the Global Fund, a lot of global health participants. One, of course, was vaccines. One was treatment. One was diagnostics. Mm -hmm. And the way that this works is these entities go and appeal to countries to say, look, we need to make investments in this so we can have a global infrastructure to address these challenges on these three different areas. The hardest one was diagnostics. So to your point, it's easier to go raise people's awareness around vaccines, but the reality without good diagnostic tools, we don't know how to even deploy some of those life-saving technologies, even oxygen. And so that's, again, an opportunity. And that's because it's really for the laboratories to really step forward and say, look, without a good diagnostics infrastructure, we really don't have eyes on these different parts of the world where we really know help is needed. And so how do we start to build that out? I think that in the US, for instance, there's a lot of movement towards, and you and I've talked about it, this kind of remote collection. You don't have to go to a doctor. In the U.S., that might be a lot around convenience. In other parts of the world, it might be a lot about we need to build this because it's really the only way that people will have access to the diagnostics. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it benefits all of us. Obercron has reminded us this is a global health issue, and I think it will continue to be for at least the next couple of years. So it's just, again, as we start to think about what's needed from our profession, is to really think about the value that we contribute and that we need to be participating in lots of different conversations because now is the time that people are asking, what do we need to put in place to get us through this? And then how durable does it need to be going into the future so that it's sustainable?
0: Yeah, one of the comments that COVAX has made on their website, one of their statements is, no one is safe until everyone is safe. They have learned a lot and overcoming supply chain barriers, logistics, Those are all things that we've learned a lot about since the pandemic began. And I guess I would put a little positive note in there that we have made great strides with other infectious diseases. We've eliminated or actually eradicated smallpox from the face of the earth. And we have now got polio down to elimination across all the countries except for two, which would be Afghanistan and Pakistan. So we can come together as a global society when we need to. Some things are a little bit more challenging and unfortunately the vaccines for SARS-CoV-2 don't provide complete sterilizing immunity, although they're quite protective. So there are some differences in comparing this to say smallpox and polio, but regardless, I think we have learned that we can come together to give these protective life-saving vaccines when possible. So it's gonna be an onward challenge, but I think that we've learned a lot along the way.
1: I agree. And I think, you know, I would make a slight modification for our perspective from the laboratory perspective is that a person can only get the treatment they need if they know the disease or the diagnosis that they have, right? And so this need for kind of testing infrastructure that reaches all kind of pockets of society, both within the U.S. and across the world, it's really, if we're going to talk about equitable distribution of, of healthcare. care, I mean, that has to be a, a part of the conversation. In fact, someone I would argue is part of where we start, right? Yeah. Because to your point, there's some disease that hopefully we can eradicate for all people for our collective benefit. So the only way we'll get there with diagnostics again is with teamwork. I mean, it has to be the laboratorians representing the needs of the patients and the populations that we serve, working with the diagnostic companies so they can think about how to get into these, which they have are now more than ever thinking about how they get into some of these different areas of the world and in our own country, kind of tools are there. And then last but not least, working with public health officials and others to say, how do we systematize it, right? If we have this deployed, how do we get that data so we can know what's happening and where we need to really focus some of our efforts in terms of disease prevention and cure. So, but diagnostics has always been sort of the last one, that people think about, although it's really the most important in terms of informing all those choices.
0: Yeah, essential. If you don't know who's infected and why and, and how, what the distribution of disease is, you really can't even make those public health decisions. Excellent yep. points, Bill. Well, as always, it's been great talking to you about all of this, and I'm sure we'll be revisiting this subject uh, in the coming months because we're gonna be continuing in this pandemic for, for a while.
1: Yeah, I think so. And there's going to be a lot of conversation afterwards. So again, the recurring theme is this is something of great societal interest, not just within our country, but across the globe in terms of the the equities and the disparities that we're seeing across the world that have been really illustrated by COVID don't be timid about stressing the importance of diagnostics and the need to build that diagnostic infrastructure, because really there's not many people who are aware of it. And it's really our job is to elevate everyone this to people's attention. So it's another good cause that we can all kind of put our shoulders, shoulders the wheel on. Totally agree.
0: Great points, Val. Thank you again.
1: Yeah, it's great talking with you as always. I'm sure as we'll always. have something to talk about next week.
0: Sounds good.